Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are studying Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah chapter 16. Uh, this is Saul Weinreb, the host of your podcast. In chapter 15, we just com- read about the promise that God made to Yirmiyahu, to the prophet, that no matter what happens, when the destruction that he has been prophesying about occurs that Yumiyahu himself, that the prophet himself will be kept safe and that his tormentors among the people that he was trying to rebuke and trying to convey God's message to, despite the fact that they were conspiring against him to harm him and even kill him, they would not be successful. Then we continue with chapter 16, which we're about to start reading. So I'll start with verse 1. And the word of God was to me as follows. In the next couple of verses, we're going to read about some commands to made to Jeremiah Tirmiyahu, which I just want to, uh, I like, just give a little introduction. When a messenger is giving a message, if he does not lead a life that is consistent with the message that he is about to give, it makes him less believable. So if someone, <laughs> excuse me, was trying to warn you that a tsunami is about to come, but he was doing it while he was sitting on a uh, beach chair on the beach taking a suntan and he says a tsunami is coming, it's unlikely that you'll believe him because you'd expect him to get up and run away from the beach if a tsunami was on its way. However, if he got up from his chair and screamed a tsunami is coming and started running for his life, you'd be much more likely to believe him. Now, Jeremiah is trying to give a message to the people to tell them that if you don't change your ways, a terrible, terrible destruction is coming. God therefore recommends to him to live a lifestyle that reflects what a person would do, how a person would live if a terrible destruction was coming in order to make the message more believable and to make the prophet more believable. So let's start reading verse 2. Do not take for yourself a wife. And you should not have sons and daughters in this place. Now, if Yermio was getting married and having children and so on, and then telling the people there's going to be a terrible destruction and we're all going to be put to the sword, it would be inconsistent if he was building a family as if and settling down as if there was going to be a future here. So God told him not to fulfill this commandment of taking a wife and raising a family because God wanted his message to be more heard. And the reason why I don't want you, God makes it very clear, because so says God, on the son, regarding the sons and the daughters, who will be born in this place, and regarding their mothers, who give birth to them, and regarding their fathers, that also caused them to be born and brought into this world, in this land. They are going to die from some of the worst imaginable illnesses. 
lo yisaftu v'lo yikaveru. It will be in such a tumultuous and horrendous environment that no one will even be able to um, lament them or eulogize them or even bury them. L'domen al you they will be corpses strewn along the ground. Uvacherev uvarav yichlu, they will be destroyed by sword and by starvation. And their corpses will be food for the scavenging birds and the scavenging animals of the land. <clears throat> now, there's this is just it's a horrible, horrible uh, prediction, of course. I have a few points to make. First of all, Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, knew about the coming destruction. But his message was, his mission was to help, to try to encourage the people to change their ways in order to prevent this. So, had not God commanded this, the, the um, inference is that had God not commanded him not to raise a family and get married, then he would have done it. So Yirmiyahu had enough hope in him that he would have done it. He, he would have gotten married, he would have had children. Even though he's predicting this destruction, presumably because he still had that hope. So God is really crushing his hope by telling him this. Don't raise a family. Because I want it to be so clear to the people that you really, really believe in the message that you are trying to convey to them. The other question, issue here, is the Radak, who expresses the question that's kind of obvious. What do you mean... Do not have children because of this place, uh, because I'm going to destroy this place. God just promised Yermio, he promised Jeremiah that he was going to save him from the destruction. Why shouldn't God also promise him that he's going to save his children? Why is it that Yermio, with his knowledge of the coming destruction, can't save his children by himself? Why can't he save his future wife, so whomever he would have married, by himself? What about the righteousness of the of the tzaddik, of the righteous man, Yermiyahu? Why wouldn't that be enough to save his children from the coming destruction? And furthermore, we know because that several times God promised Yermiyahu that there wasn't going to be total destruction. There were going to be some survivors. Maybe his children will be from those survivors. The answer given by the Radak and the Malbim also, who asks a similar question, is um, unsatisfying. I, you feel free to look at the answer that they give, but it's an extremely unsatisfying answer because um, the question seems better than the answer. So I wanted to um, uh, suggest my own approach to this, and that is that um, the fact that your Mio was a great man First of all, Yermio, the prophet, doesn't know how long this is going to be. He doesn't know when this is going to happen. He doesn't know exactly how many years or days or etc. this is going to be. When God tells him, do not have a wife and raise children, because this is the destruction that is going to befall come the people here, yes, there will be some survivors. But there is no way for Yermio to possibly know, or for anyone to possibly know, what kind of people these children are going to be. The fact that Jeremiah himself was a great man and was a righteous man and was a prophet doesn't mean 
that his children will be doesn't mean that his wife will be. He may do the best, be made to be the best father or best husband in the world, but there's no guarantee that his children or his future wife or whomever his descendants may be will be from the people that are going to be saved. <clears throat> it's, 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 it's wrong to assume that just because Yirmiyahu is a righteous man, that his family will be. I think often the answer lies within the question itself. The assumption of the question is that Yirmiyo will have children, so certainly they'll deserve to be uh, spared. The answer to that question is maybe not. And this indeed is um, when when it says over here, "Do not have children, but Aretz Hazos in this land." The Radak and the Malbim try to say that Aratazos, this land, is only referring to Anatot, to the city where Jeremiah was from, as opposed to everywhere, because the entire Anatot, as we'll see, is going to be destroyed. But, but um, I think that that's not, that doesn't really explain the question, answer the questions that we had. But Aratazot here means in a land that is like this, a land like this, you, just because you are a great man, doesn't, the children and the family that you will raise will be subject to the influence of the environment that they're in. They may choose good, they may choose bad, but there's no way that you can guarantee that they won't follow the evil ways of the environment within their raised, even if their father might be the most righteous person around. That's my understanding of this and why not having children is... Um, is what God wanted him to do in order to show that he really believed in the in the prophecy that he was saying. So let's move on with verse 5. Because so says God, Do not even go into a house of mourning. Don't go to give eulogies over people that pass on. Do not go and try to um, console them or comfort them. Why? Because God says, I have taken my peace away from this nation. I'm no longer giving them peace. I'm no longer being kind and merciful towards them. Destruction will come. This reminds me of the verse in Lamentations 4.9 where it says, the, the people that die of the sword are lucky because they don't die of more suffering. In other words, the people that, are, that, that pass on now, because you know of the terrible that destruction is coming, don't mourn them. They're the lucky ones. They're the ones that got saved, the, having to see the terrible, horrific destruction that is to come. The great ones, the lofty high leaders, and the young lower rungs of the society. In this land, this corrupt land, they won't even be buried. No one is going to cry over them. No one will <clears throat> gash their skin or shave their heads for them. These are practices which are prohibited by the Torah because they were practices of the idol worshippers that were done in mourning. But apparently these practices were nonetheless being done by the Jewish people um, <clears throat> as part of a mourning ritual. This is verse 7. And people will not break their bread um, on by the meal of mourning in order to comfort them over the people that died. 
uh, it's a custom to give to bring people that are mourning a meal as part of the process of comforting them. No one will be around to do that. They won't give them a drink to comfort them over their mother or their father. And in addition, verse 8, not only should you not mourn, and also do not ever go into a house of parties in order to sit with them and enjoy to eat and drink together. Obviously, a person that knows that such destruction is coming wouldn't be sitting around having parties and celebrating. <coughs> to verse 9, because God says, this is what he says, God, the God of Israel, I'm going to destroy from this place, before your very eyes, and in your very days, it's going to happen soon, I'm going to destroy all sounds of rejoicing, and happiness, the sounds of bride and groom celebrating their marriage, none of this happiness will happen in this place, and it's going to happen soon. And what ha- what's going to happen, God tells Jeremiah, when you tell the nation this message, all of these things, they're going to say to you, remember this is prior to what happens, Jeremiah conveys this message. The people see um, that he's acting in such a way that a terrible thing is going to happen. He's not getting married, he's not having children, he doesn't mourn, he doesn't celebrate, he, he's just constantly... Conveying this message, the people are going to say, Why is God saying all of these terrible things about us? Like, what's going on? What is our sin? What is our crime? That we have committed against the Lord our God. What's going on? You're saying all this, but we're not so bad. What's the big deal? And then... You're going to tell them, I'll tell you. Because God says that your forefathers, they abandoned me. And they went after other gods. And they worshipped them. They bowed down to them. And they abandoned me. And they did not keep the laws that I told them they should keep. And you... So I'm not just punishing you because of what the, your forefathers did, but you have done even worse than they did. Each of you went uh, after your own path of your own heart, whatever you imagined you wanted to do, and you refused to listen to me. And therefore I'm going to throw you or chuck you or hurl you from this land to a land that you don't even know existed. I'm going to throw you to faraway places you don't even know exist. You and your, and your, uh, that you, neither you nor your forefathers knew of these places. Literally this translates as follows. And there you will worship these other gods day and night. Because I will not have any mercy upon you. Now what does this mean when it says that you will worship their other gods? That sounds, it sounds like that's something that people 
may or may not choose to do, but how is that a punishment? And um, there's several ways to understand that. And isn't the purpose of the punishment to help teach them not to do these things? So there's several ways to understand this. The Radak understands this, that it means not that you will worship there, but you will be enslaved there by those other gods day and night. In other words, those other nations um, you know, will enslave you to their temples and so on. Another way of understanding this, according to Rashi and the Targum, is that not that you will serve the gods, but you will serve the nations that have other gods day and night. The Malbim actually looks at um, this another way and says, and you will be forced to worship those other gods. Coercion and force to convert to those foreign religions is part of the punishment, and that's how the Malbim looks at it. Rabbi Yosef Kaspi, an early commentator, he had two explanations. One is, is that in order to ingratiate yourself to the people, because you are so... Um, tr- being treated so badly to ingratiate yourself, you go and worship their other gods to show them how much you like them in, in order to gain favor in their eyes. And that itself is such a lowly way you know, of changing your everything you know to be true just in order to fit in with the society. And that's the curse. He also suggests another one, or maybe you will look around and say, look, my God threw me out, but look how successful their God is. I'll join that religion because that's the religion that's successful, basically selling truth out in order to do chase after what appears to be the more successful, and that would be in itself a curse. <clears throat> Let's move on to verse 14. Therefore, the suffering is going to be so bad that there are days coming, says God, that this, when the redemption happens, once you're spread out across the world to the extent that you go through all the suffering that we just described, that when it's over, people will people will no longer say, I swear by God, praising God that uh, uh, who has was so miraculous and so great and so powerful that he took the Jewish people out of Egypt which is, of course, uh, an awe-inspiring event, but rather, they're going to say, how great is God who took the Jewish people out of those faraway lands, the northern lands, and for all the lands, where they were spread out and, and thrown about and tossed about, and then he returned them to the land, this is really, it's, it's an encouraging two verses, but they're actually designed to impress upon us how bad the suffering is going to be. In other words, the suffering is going to be so bad that when the day of redemption does come and I redeem you, it will be so amazing that I was able to take, that God saying, I was able to take you out of such horrific and horrible humiliation and degradation and rescue you that it will be even greater than the miracle of Egypt. But in a kind of a backwards, backhanded sort of way, it's demonstrating just how bad and how degrading the suffering will be. So much so, God says in verse 16, no one will escape. It's like I am going to call many fishermen, 
They are going to go fish one after another after another. They are going to find each and every sinner, each and every person, each and every bad person. And after I fish you all out, then those of you that get fished out of the corners and the cracks that are hiding like fish hide inside the water, then people are going to try to run away. I'm going to get trappers to trap the people that run. I'm going to trap them from all the mountains and high places and from the clefts of the rocks and the caves. We're going to capture everyone. No one will get away from my wrath. Because God says, my eyes sees everything. I see all their ways. Nothing is hidden from me. And their sins are not hidden from my eyesight. And I am first, before this redemption that I just told you about is going to happen, first I have to uh, punish them or give them their due from their repetitive and constant sinning and iniquity. Because they have defiled my land with the corpses of their disgusting things and their awful things that they did. And they filled them up. Uh, presumably this is a reference to, to sacrificing people, but even the animal sacrifices to other gods, that's what they filled my land up with. Those corpses, those bodies, those terrible, disgusting things because of this. And because because they kept repeating them over and over again, I'm translating that like Rashi, <clears throat> I first have to repay them and then I will, only then, only after all of that will the redemption come. Now here, I'm going to read from verse 19 till the end of the chapter. Um, <clears throat> it sounds like a prayer from Jeremiah. It sounds like Yermiyahu is saying a prayer. I'm going to read it like that at first. And we'll discuss it a little bit. Adonai Uzi Umauzi, God, you are my strength and you are my stronghold. Umenusi biyomtsara, and when I am suffering, I run to you. You are my refuge. Elecha goyim yovau, to you many nations will come, my apse arts from the corners of the land, biyomru, and they will say, Ach sheker, nachalu abuseinu, they will recognize the truth of God when they see the power. Now, are they seeing the redemption? of the people being brought back to the land which makes them see the truth of God? Or are they seeing the punishment of the people? Or is it that they see both or all? But but they do recognize, or they will recognize one day, says Yermio to God, they will recognize that it was, that everything that they inherited from their forefathers, the views and polytheism and the idol worship, etc., that they inherited from their Traditions, Hevel, the Einbom Moil, they were false and wrong, and they they have no power to help. Adam Elohim, can a human being make a God? Elohim, and they are not a God at all. They're nothing. So so this is what Jeremiah says to God. It's, it sounds a little odd and the context, etc., but I'm gonna deal with that in a minute. First let me read this last verse, twenty one, and then we'll discuss these three verses. Lochain, therefore God says in in response to Jeremiah's prayer, this time I am going to make them know, they're going to know my hand, they're going to know my true strength, they're going to know that my name is God. Now does this mean when the redemption comes they will know? Does this mean when the punishment comes they will know? That's unclear. 
First, I'm going to say the way the Malbim understands this prayer here, because it's kind of an unusual prayer. It starts off, uh, so, and he's saying, God, you are my strength. You are my stronghold. You are my refuge when times are suffering. God, please don't destroy the people. This is how the Malbim understands this. You are the great, great God. You're the one that the entire world, all of the nations are going to recognize one day how strong and how powerful you are. And how nothing and how meaningless the idols and the other gods are. Why do you care about such little nonsense that's nothing? Why do you care about these idols? And then God's answer is, no, it's not the idols that I'm worried about. It's the people that worship the idols. It's the people that don't understand it. And therefore God says, this is the reason why. Because I have to let them know that I am the one that is strong. I am the one that is God and not these idols. The problem that I have with the Malbim's explanation is, is that it kind of makes your miyahu silly. Your miyahu is looking at, if your miyahu, according to this explanation, your miyahu, the prophet is looking at God and saying, as if God, as if your miyahu thinks that God cares about these little idols, these nothing. And so God thinks, God is jealous of these idols. So Yermio says, why do you have to destroy the people because of the idols? You know you're so much greater than them. They're nothing. You're great. Is Yermio lecturing God about how great he is over the idols? Does Yermio really think that God is worried about the idols? It just doesn't seem to make sense as a prayer. So I had a different way of understanding this completely. Not so much as a prayer, but as a response to the utter exasperation, the utter um, uh, depression that must have been felt by Jeremiah. He was just told by God that I am going to collect every single one of the sinners. I am going to throw the people to the ends of the earth. The destruction that I'm going to make is going to be so bad that people aren't going to even imagine how it's possible to ever get out of it. It's going to be awful, 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 awful. And Yermio just heard God telling him, don't have children, don't get married, don't build a family, don't do nothing because it's going to happen, it's going to be terrible. Don't even bring children into the world, that's how bad it's going to be. Meanwhile, God is still telling Yermio that you have a mission to go out and teach the people, right? God is, but so, he, he, he's, at this point, what's his reaction? Yermio looks and says, what do I have left? I have nothing. I can't build a family. I can't build a nothing. And, and even my message is going to be useless. The people aren't going to listen to me. They're going to get thrown into exile anyway. What do I have left? And his response then is, God, you are all I have left. This is not a prayer. This is a statement. This is a statement that comes from the heart of a prophet in despair. God, you are my strength. You are my refuge. You are my everything. You are so great, so, so, so great, that all the people of the world will come from the corners of the earth and recognize that you are the only source of power. You are the only source of strength. Everything else is meaningless. This is the recognition of your miyahu at this time. I have a message. I have a mission. I am going to teach. And my mission and my message will be known. In an this time, God answers him. I will let the entire world know who I am. And you know what, Yermio? You will be the one who conveys that message to the world. Right now, at this very moment, you're listening to this podcast and learning this message. 
because Yermiyahu stood up and said this message. This was Yermiyahu's response to the exasperation, to the terrible despair, and he encouraged himself, I can't have a family, I can't have a wife, my nation doesn't have a future, everything is going to be destruction, but no, it's not true, because one day, all the nations of the world are going to recognize this. One day, everyone is going to realize that God is the only one who's the real Uzi Umozi, the real refuge, the real source of strength. And that is what this is. This is an expression of Yirmiyahu, a recognition of the true value of his relationship with God. That when push comes to shove, the bottom line is that God is God and our relationship with him is what is meaningful. Thank you so much for studying chapter 16 together. Looking forward to studying more of Yirmiyahu with you.